I always think it's important to have a narrative. If you're writing a letter or a message of, of any kind, you've got to have a start point and an end point. You've got to go into it knowing what it is you want to say. Uh, be clear about that in the communication. I like to use down-to-earth language, uh, you know, with simple structure. Um, and, and a simple approach to describing complex things is always the best. But I think I always look for a narrative. I'm John Higginson, and I believe that when you concentrate on your purpose, not what you do, but why you do it, then you start talking about your passion and both you and your audience become far more switched on. I call this the power of purpose. This week, I'm joined by Dale Vince, founder of Ecotricity, the first energy company to offer customers green energy. He's also the owner of First Division Football Club, Forest Green Rovers. Ecotricity primarily sources their energy from wind power and offer 100% renewable electricity plants. Dale acquired Forest Green Rovers in 2010, which in 2015 became the world's first vegan football club and later became the world's first carbon neutral club. Dale runs an online blog called Zero Carbonista and has published his book How a Maverick Entrepreneur Took on British Energy and Won. Dale, thanks so much for joining me. Before we talk about ecotricity, let's go right back to your roots. You're a new age traveller and in 1985 were involved in the Battle of the Beanfield. For younger audiences, this was one of the worst instances of police brutality in Britain when 1,300 police got into a violent confrontation with around 600 new age travellers trying to get to the Glastonbury Festival. It was turned into a powerful song by the brilliant band The Levellers, which as a teenager was my favorite band and I followed them around gigs around the country. Um, so please Dale, just let our listeners know a bit about your history and how it's shaped the businessman you've uh, become today. Mm, cool. Well, I don't think I'm a businessman. I just want to say that first. It's not a title that I accept uh, or, or like actually, you know, I tend to think of it as uh, a pejorative term actually, because uh, businessmen, usually excuse bad behavior um, because it's just business and basically they're pursuing money and uh, you know put that before everything else so uh, I don't like to be called a businessman I'm an environmentalist I use business as a tool to create change I would say been an environmentalist all my life I reckon since I was a kid I was concerned about sustainability things running out where things came from that kind of stuff and um, I kind of became uh, unenamored with uh, conventional life after I left school, the idea of a job, a mortgage, you know, a career, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I dropped out. Uh, I spent the 80s, the entire 80s, living on the road, including uh, the Battle of the Bean Field, uh, around about the mid part of that. Uh, I built a whole different bunch of uh, trucks and, and things to live in, in that decade, became very self-reliant, mechanically, electrically, all that kind of stuff. Um, and in the early 90s, I was parked on a hill with a little windmill on my trailer. By then, I'd moved into using renewable energy to power myself. Saw the first big windmills built in Cornwall. And I was aware that um, the way we make electricity in Britain was the biggest single cause of our climate emissions uh, by burning fossil fuels. And I thought I could actually live another 10 years of a low-impact lifestyle as I was, or I could drop back in 
and try and build a big windmill on the hill I was living on. And I knew it was windy because I had a little windmill uh, in order to try and change things. So I decided to do that, drop back in, try and build a big windmill. And that's how the whole ecotricity journey began. It was a five-year battle with planners, grid companies, all kinds of people. Um, and I built it in 1996. And just before that, I realized that to build more, I needed to get a fair price for the power, which meant cutting out the uh, the, the middlemen, the uh, privatized utilities that were at that time monopoly buyers. So I formed Ecotricity. We were the world's first green energy company in 1995. And uh, yeah, and the rest after that is it's just more history. Great. Well, well you've been a great communicator over the years. Um, do you believe that having a deeply held purpose in your life has helped with that communications? Well, yeah, absolutely, because what I'm communicating is genuine, right? I'm not trying to create a story. Uh, um, and and I, I find this to be the, uh, I don't know, the, the, the best, the most wonderful place to be in at the same time, simply the most obvious, you know, if you don't, for example, tell lies, right, then you never have to remember what you've said in case you contradict yourself, because everything you say is the truth. And, uh, and it's the same when you have a purpose. You aren't trying to pretend to be something that you're not. You can't contradict yourself uh, at any point because you're just speaking from the heart about what it is you believe in. And uh, it's a wonderful place to be, I would say. Great. Now, you recently announced your intentions earlier this year to step back from Ecotricity uh, and sell the company when the time is right uh, so you can move into politics. Why do you want to enter politics now? Well, my rationale uh, was um, two or threefold. Firstly, Ecotricity had an enormous pipeline of projects to build, which would require an investment of about £2 billion, which we didn't have. And if I could find somebody with deeper pockets, um, then that could be built much faster, which would be an important outcome. And I'd sold the electric highway the year before, and I'd learned from that that sometimes you can achieve more by letting go. Um, I sold it to some people with commitment and money, and they're able to do much more with it. That's a national network of charging points for electric cars that uh, we built in, uh, well, we started in 2011. It was actually the world's first again. Um, and so I thought, I can find a new owner for Ecotricity. They can do more with it. And, and at the same time, I reasoned that to get to net zero and all the good stuff that we have to do, we've got the technology that we need. The economics are on our side. The people are on our side. But the one thing we don't have are politicians and policies that can get us there. And for me, it looked like the last frontier of this battle to green up the country and actually save the world, really, you know, from climate change. And um, so it seemed, to, it seemed neat to me, Selicotricity, that would also mean I was free of any potential conflict of interest to uh, take part in the election. Great. And I know that you've um, donated money to um, uh, more than one party before. Is, is there a particular party that you think is, is, the, is the right party for you to, to do that job through? Or is it a new, a new party or is it an independent even? Well, there's no time for new parties. There's no time for anybody to win the next election other than Labour or the Tories, right? That's our electoral system, first past the post. There's no chance for the Greens, Lib Dems, anybody else. Um, because, look, we're, we're halfway through, almost. We will be when the next election comes. Halfway through the vital last decade the UN said we have to avoid the worst of climate change to, to get to one and a half degrees, if we can. Um, we can't waste that messing about with the electoral change, new parties, or, or, you know, that kind of stuff. Only Labour, actually, are capable of, of doing this. They have a genuine green commitment, um, which the Tories don't have, and they can uh, they can win the election and be the next government. 
Great. And so have you have you made those started having that communication with the Labour Party yet stating your intention uh, to do what you can? Is it is it would you like to be a Labour MP if you could get a seat? Yeah, I have been talking to them. Uh, mostly it's been about uh, technology and policy and that kind of stuff, but they do know where I'm coming from. I thought about trying to be an MP uh, in my hometown here in Stroud, um, but I, I passed on the opportunity to, to stand for uh, selection here a few months ago when the contest was run, because by then I decided that being an MP wouldn't suit me best. I looked into it, I talked to some ex-MPs and current MPs, and um, you know the idea of having to be in the House of Commons three or four days a week um yeah it would be really stifling i need more freedom than that and i also think that the culture wouldn't suit me and and that uh, yeah generally it wasn't for me so instead i uh, formed a think tank called the green britain foundation and um i'm going to create policy uh, and plans for government to share with the labor party uh, come the day when they win the next election great so that's the kind of think tank that you hope will um um Shape, shape that policy and pro provide that sound background to thinking is that right yeah based on that well based on our experience what we've worked across energy transport and food the three big areas of life that we have to change to get to net zero uh, based on our experience of that and not not an academic think tank where we throw pie in the sky stuff up uh, but actually well-formed economically argued plans for change that will get us to net zero because we have this business background we've We've made green ideas work in a business context, and this, that's never been easier right now. The technology and the economics are with us. Um, so it'll be a, a very practical version of a think tank. Okay. Um, let, let's move, move on to Forest Green Rovers, because I think that's been a great tool uh, for you to communicate. Just, just tell us a bit about why it was important for it to become a vegan football club and later a carbon neutral football club. Well, Forest Green Rovers was a rescue mission. I didn't buy it. I just took responsibility for it, including its debts in 2010. It was on the verge of bankruptcy and relegation. And I didn't think uh, about it at all, other than that if I didn't save the club, it would go bust. It was 120 years old, big part of its local community, um, and I could do it. So I thought, although I was really busy and didn't want to, I just did it without having a plan, without thinking about what running a football club might be like. And on day one, bumped into the first issue. Uh, we were serving red meat to our players. I stopped that. Uh, and over the next two or three weeks, just ran into a series of issues, things that had to change to accord with my ethics and uh, an outlook and approach to life, and that of ecotricity as well. And, and I realized that we'd have to change so much that we'd in effect create a very different kind of football club, a green kind, and that we'd be communicating to a very different audience, one that's, uh, you know, stereotypically wouldn't be an easy audience. Uh, we definitely wouldn't be preaching to the choir on this. And, uh, and that made it more appealing to me, actually, because, you know, the harder things are, I think the more worthwhile they are to do frequently. So we just carried on, um, took the club on a journey to veganism, installed solar power, electric car charges, an organic pitch. Uh, we've done all kinds of stuff. We've got our carbon footprint down to 70 tons uh, last year. We uh, took part with the UN in the formation of a program called Sport for Climate Action three, four years ago, and it's a global uh, approach to get all sport bodies to do the kinds of things that Forest Green have done and through that engage with their fans and make them get them to become fans of the environment as well. What we found at Forest Green is, is sport is an incredible channel for communicating ideas and, and suggestions and you know our fans have embraced vegetarian and veganism, they buy electric cars, solar panels, you know they embrace the whole eco nine yards and 
it's a really improbable outcome that you could engage with the football audience, not just get them to accept what you're doing, but actually to embrace what you're doing. And uh, globally, there are billions of sports fans. And so it's a very exciting opportunity, I think. Yeah, it, it really does sound like it is. Um, can you give me an example of when you when you believe that you've communicated well? Well, yeah. I think Forest Green is an example of, of good communication because, you know, we've, we've tackled a very improbable audience uh, and, and actually on a very improbable topic, uh, food, right? We've yeah. changed the food at football games. Uh, for example, I think my work with the Daily Express has been uh, very good because uh, we're in, um, well, it's a right-wing newspaper, right-wing audience. And uh, it's another great example, I think, of, of, of getting outside of the bubble, the, you know, the environment bubble where we all agree with each other and just go somewhere much more difficult. And uh, I mean, I've been writing a column there for a year and a half now, I think, maybe two years. And, um, you know, I, we get some great feedback from readers who don't always agree with everything I say, but they're interested, they're listening. And uh, I think that's super important because we've got to get as many people on board as we, as we can uh, to make this happen. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's absolutely super important. When we look at both football and we look at both the audience, say, for the Daily Express, it's both right of centre and also has an older readership. Most people would think, well, actually, those are the least likely to agree with you, but actually those are the ones you need to win over. You don't want to be singing to the choir, do you? Can you give me an example of uh, when you've had a communications failure in your life? I'm sure there are some, but I can't think of one. And, you know, I think um, communication, uh, do you mean public communications like the, the kind yeah. of stuff we're talking about now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, if there's a public one, yeah. I can't think of one, you know. I think not everybody understands what you say or what you mean at any given moment or in any given communication. You know, the, yeah. the, uh, the, you know, the message is sometimes in the ears of the beholder rather than, uh, you know, in your own hands. But no, I can't actually. You know, I think that because we're always honest and clear, we're afraid of no fact, um, then I, I can't think of a time that we've put out a bad communication. We're not trying to be something, um, and we're not trying to be something that we're not. We're not trying to create, not trying to create a brand, uh, for example. You know, there's there's nothing there's nothing artificial about us at all. All of our communications are straight from the heart, with no uh, hidden intent or agenda. So no, I, I can't think of one. Yeah. Um, and, and what media do you personally yourself read or watch or swipe through? Yeah, I read The Guardian every day. <clears throat> uh, I have done for a very long time. I uh, do as well if Sorella Bradman is listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, you, do you watch any, do, do you get your news from TV or, or uh, online as well? I mean, on, online obviously you've got The Guardian there. Yeah. 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 Uh, great. And uh, what do you believe makes a good message? Finally. Well, I think um, I always think it's important to have a narrative. If you're writing a letter or a message of, of any kind, you've got to have a start point and an end point. You've got to go into it knowing what it is you want to say. Uh, be clear about that in the communication. I like to use down to earth language, uh, you know, with simple structure. Um, and, and a simple approach to describing complex things is always the best. But I think I always look for a narrative. You know, we're telling a story every time we communicate. And so you have the introduction. This is what I want to say. 
um, and then you have some kind of wrap-up exit. Great, thank you. Uh, Dale Vince, founder of Ecotricity, thank you very much for joining me, John Higginson, on Communicating Purpose. <laughs>